What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 135, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Fragile Balance. Fragile Balance. It's very, very fragile. It's fragile. It has nothing to do with ball, and it had nothing to do with insects. I'm a little disappointed, no. but... But it had lots to do with balancing and fragile things-ish. That's true. True. Uh, friends, we're an independent podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. There are tiers, and there are privileges, and Zach will tell us a little bit more about it in a bit, but one of the privileges you get is that you get access to the Patreon first stuff. That includes the other side of the gate, where Zach and good friend of the show slash quasi-executive producer David talk about spoilerific things that I'm not allowed to listen to. Also, we've got Stargate Second Chances, where based off of your votes, we re-watch certain episodes, re-rank them. Tell us, tell, tell your, tell you our thoughts on them again, uh, which that's a lot of fun. And uh, for the past couple of months, uh, we have uh, reached our stretch goal, which requires that Zach and I watch Stargate Infinity, the non-canonical animated series that was put out in the early 2000s. And uh, we recorded episode two, and I mixed it at the beginning of the week, and I intended to post it at some point during this week, but. I have spent all week supporting the testing of 2,500 individuals for COVID twice in one week. Um, So I've been a little busy. Uh, So I I realized today that I have forgotten to post that. So I'll probably be doing that here pretty shortly. So if you're on the Patreons, you're going to be hearing that pretty soon, which is great. Uh, You'll have fun with that one. But uh, if you're saying to yourself, boy, that's a lot of Patreon-only stuff there, Brent, and uh, you'll recall I did not say Patreon-only. I said Patreon first. That's right. We put all of our stuff on our main feed eventually, typically when we want to take a break or something. So have no fear. You'll be able to hear all the stuff on our main feed if you have a lovely friend in your life that you say uh needs to have more stargate podcast content in their life which is extremely specific as i say those words out loud uh, you can tell them that they can find <laughs> us on apple podcasts and on google podcasts and on spotify podcasts and on podcast aggregators uh so zach if a person wants to let us know that um that I probably should find other ways to gather income rather than hanging out with people with, with thousands of people collecting spit so that we can test them for COVID. Uh, How might they reach out and let us know that? Well, if you are a headhunter and you think that Brent's (laughs) dulcet tones are exactly what you need to pay him Hundreds of thousands of dollars to do whatever Ooh. it is that you need to do. I like you this. can get a hold of us by emailing us at walking through the stargate at gmail.com, which is exactly as it sounds. Yep, so that's spelled right. And all that stuff. Uh, or if if you are so newfangled that you don't do email anymore, don't worry. We have you covered. We have Twitter. You can go to at Stargate Walking <laughs> and find that. And if that's too newfangled for you, then we've got the old fangled walking through the Stargate Facebook page and group. Yep. Uh, you know, that's for us old fangled people. Yep. Or you can go to our website, wtts.space. Uh, you Space. really can't contact us too easily there, but... No, not really. Uh, but it does give you access there with the information to get to the link to our Discord 
yep. group where you could contact us again. So if you're the headhunter and you need Brent, then you can do that. <laughs> Just know that you can't take him away from the podcast. We still need him here. Yeah, no, any 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 uh, opportunities for employment that I'd be willing to entertain must allow for my um, hobbies to still remain relatively intact. So, Absolutely. There you go. Yep. Uh, and of course, we have patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate where you can join uh, the other folks who have participated are participating in this uh, little thing by uh, giving us some cold, hard mm-hmm. cash. Mm-hmm. And when you do, you get certain numbers of votes depending on how much you give uh, for those second chances and then get access to all of those other things. So. And as soon as we can figure out what our schedule is going to be, because Brent has been, you know, testing spit for a week, and I've been doing other things, um, and it's very, very cold in the Midwest right now. Oh, yeah. Um, And so as soon as we get our ducks in a row, unfortunately, our ducks are squirrels, and they don't like to listen. No. But as soon as we can gather those things, we will get some Second Chances episodes on our schedule so that we can get those recorded so that we can get them out to you. That's right. Now, Brent. Yes. We have a listener of the podcast. His name is Kevin. Yes. Hi, Kevin. Kevin Kevin, uh, took it upon himself to contact a certain actor in the Stargate universe and connect certain actor in to our little sphere and sure enough we were talking with certain actor and we were getting things set up and we have things set up and we will be talking about certain actor next week brent yes who are we talking to we're gonna talk to ricardo multibon oh i'm sorry tony amandola Yes, Kevin. Right. Thank you so much, Kevin. Yeah, we're going to be talking with Tony Amendola next week. Probably a short one. At least that's what we pitched. Just you know, a little bit of time, and we'll talk about a few things. Uh, I'll leave the uh, I'll leave the questions a little bit of a secret at the moment. We did we did conjure up a few, but uh, gonna 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 gather a few more here and. Really looking forward to that. That's super I am fun. Excited about that. That's so going to be so much fun. Yep. And we have in the works another potential interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on true. the burner. It's cooking. It's, you know, it's nice percolating right there. It is okay. not set in stone, so we're not going to say any more than that. But, but, but if everything goes as we hope next month or so, we'll be able to give you another in- announcement very similar to this one. That's right. That's right. Looking forward to it. I am too. Yep. So uh, with that uh, interview, once we have that compiled and put all together, uh, they'll probably toss that out there as a bonus podcast um, shortly thereafter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Cool. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. So, Brent. Yeah. Are you ready to dig into Fragile Balance? Yes. Okay. I am ready to go after those insects that are a little bit too frail and somehow owned by Ball. Okay. All right. Well, you know, that type of story is exactly the type of story that you would expect Peter DeLuise to direct. And you would be right. (laughs) It's precisely the type of story that Peter DeLuise would pitch. And you would be correct. Um, uh, He did that with uh, Michael Greenberg as well. Uh, So here is uh, the the bit of that. Uh, There was talk at some point in time, like way back in season two, uh, about creating a story with 
uh, cloning one of the main characters. And of course, since that came in here, uh, that one there kind of came, and that's why Michael Greenberg gets the little story credit there. Mm, um, gotcha. <clears throat> he is the executive, one of the executive producers for the show, Michael Greenberg. He has uh, just a few story credits throughout the series. He did met, has a story credit for Message in a Bottle and for Crystal Skull. And then, of course, mm-hmm. for this one, Fragile Balance, and one more coming in a future season. So we'll hear his name again. Mm. Uh, Very good. With that. So while Peter and Michael did produce the story, get the story for this, uh, neither of them actually wrote the teleplay. That goes to Damien Kindler. Mm-hmm. We have heard his name plenty of times. We'll hear it plenty of times this year as well. He uh, wrote five of the episodes this season, and he has one additional story credit uh, this season. Mm-hmm. So we'll hear his name a few times as well. Very good. We have several guest actors. Uh, we have Carmen Argenziano, uh, who plays Jacob, Sel- Jacob Carter and Selmac. Jacob Sarter. Selter. Yeah. Well, so, dear dear listeners, uh, normally we record on a Saturday morning. And Brent, That's right. Is it a Saturday morning? No, it's not Saturday morning. It is not no, Saturday not. morning. No, it's not. It is. No, a, it's not even. It, it's not even Saturday. It, it's, it's not even morning. <laughs> <laughs> so between those two facts, we're way discombobulated we right now. <laughs> yeah. But we're here and we're recording and we're having fun. So that's right. Carmen Argenziano plays Jacob Carter and Selmak. He's in this episode. We say hello again to Terrell Rothery as Doctor Frazier. Uh, we have several actors here that I just want to go through their names. I'm not going mm-hmm. to talk about them because there's a lot of them who have just a lot of little bit of lines here and there in this episode. Mm-hmm. We got Gregory Bennett, who plays Lieutenant Colonel Harlan Beck. Mm-hmm. Tom Heaton, who plays Werner. He's one of the uh, guys who was abducted. Poppy mm-hmm. Reiner, Pamela Ambrose. Uh, she is, again, one of the uh, the abductees. We've mm-hmm. got Ed Hong-Louise, who plays Xiang Wu. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an abductee. Teresa Lee was his interpreter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ralph Alderman plays the shop owner. Um, mm-hmm. Incidentally, that shop owner was like a sushi restaurant that they converted oh. uh, for that. Yeah. Um, just a little bit tidbit there. Uh, Evan Frame plays the pilot, and Chris Kramer, the other pilot, of uh, mm-hmm. the F2, F-302s. We have Noah Beggs and Dan Payne playing the two security officers who are roughing up O'Neill um, in the hallway, just mm-hmm. outside that, right? Dan mm-hmm. Payne, he was the guy that was actually pinning him to the wall. He's the big dude there, right? Yep. Uh, he's actually the guy who played the Ashrak in the episode Allegiance. Um, when they were the the Tokra and the Jaffa oh, and the yeah. Earth were all together, and there was a guy yeah. killing them. So Dan uh, was the guy who played the Ashrak in that. He's done several other things in the show as well. Uh, he's got another role coming up later this season. Um, mm, okay, that I won't talk anything more about other than that. Yep. Okay. Um, and then of course we have Michael Welch who plays young Jack O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Um, and here is the IMDb description of who uh, Michael Welch is. Uh, this comes from uh, Jill Donna Public Relations from the KRM and Curtis Talent Management Company, who represents Michael. There you go. Okay. So, you know, with all of that, how could I not read it? You're right. 
you know? Let's, okay. let's go for it. Michael Welch is a veteran actor of nearly 25 years with over 100 film and television credits to his name. He has received tremendous praise throughout his career by fans, critics, and industry insiders alike for the depth and diversity of his work. Michael continues to build his career as he always has a new project on the horizon. Welch is best known for his role as the popular Mike Newton in the Twilight film franchise, a franchise that grossed $3.3 billion worldwide. More recently, he appeared as a series regular on Z Nation, sci-fi's hit original zombie series that ran for five seasons. Michael was also regular as Luke Girardi on the beloved Emmy-nominated CBS show Joan of Arcadia, for which he received his second Young Artist Award. His first feature film experience was as Artem in Star Trek Insurrection, the ninth installment of the iconic franchise. In 2019, Michael appeared in Shonda Rhimes' ABC drama Station 19. His film releases included Bloodcraft, A Killer Walks Amongst Us, and two Lifetime Originals, Who's Stalking Me and Erasing His Dark Past. (laughs) In January of 2019, Michael starred in The Final Wish opposite horror legends Lin Shay and Tony Todd. Ooh, Tony Todd. I don't know who Tony Todd Tony Todd, Todd plays uh, Worf's brother in Star Trek. Oh, um, okay. Kern plays Kern there. Um, and uh, here's a little hint. Uh, we will actually see Tony Todd in a future episode of Stargate. In oh, several neat. future episodes of Stargate. But that's later. Continuing. The film was released theatrically nationwide, and his performance enjoyed excellent reviews from critics across the board. His 2020 releases include Soldier's Heart, The Gift, A Christmas Hero, The Grounds, and the the award-winning short Heat Stroke. Mm -hmm. Welch is passionate about the issue of clean water and is heavily involved with The Thirst Project, a youth-oriented nonprofit that builds fresh water wells in developing communities. He's Mm -hmm. married to set dresser Samantha Welch, and they have a beautiful baby girl, Parker Ann. Very nice. So, uh, in addition to that, his eyes are actually blue in real life, and since uh, mm-hmm. Richard Dean Anderson's eyes are brown, he had to wear contact lenses mm-hmm. uh, when playing this um, this uh, character in this episode. So, there you gotcha. go. Gotcha. Okay. All right. His first IMDb credit came in 1998. He was like 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the TV series Frasier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played young Niles in the episode where every bloke knows your name. Wait, uh, so it, <laughs> so he got his television break playing a younger version of another main character of the show. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yep. Um, for this episode, um, he w- received from uh, the Stargate producers uh a reel of of all of uh, Richard Dean Anderson as O'Neill's quirks and you know ticks and 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 uh, expressions and all of that mm-hmm. stuff, and mm-hmm. he studied the crap out of that. Oh yeah, uh, and and frankly, in my opinion, did an amazing job mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with all of that. Uh, you really believed that uh, for me that 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 was like actually Colonel O'Neill younger um, mm-hmm. in that so. 
the original air date for Fragile Balance was June 20, 2003 in both mm-hmm. the U.S. and the U.K. Number one on the charts in both the U.S. and the U.K. was the same as it was last time, which is 21 Questions by 50 Cent featuring Nate mm-hmm. Dog and Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. Yep, there you go. All right. Now, as we are still listening to Bring Me to Life by Evanescence... Man, I, I normally don't play it like a second time. If it's the same things, I just leave it out. Oh, so it's not playing. So it's, it's, not it, playing. it's all you. As you can remember us listening yes, to this last go. time. And by last time, I mean like two weeks ago because we didn't do this last week. Goodness. That's right. All right. That's in any right. case, it, you know what? Here's what it is. It's like if you really are upset because we're not listening to Bring Me to Life, this is where your Hulk comes out. Because Hulk is number one. Nice. Hulk smash. Hulk yes. smash. Why is he smashing? Because he's trying to find Nemo. Where's Nemo? I'm trying to find Nemo. And he's going too fast and he's too furious. Oh, Everybody that's thinks good his too. name is Bruce Banner, but in fact, it's not. It's actually Bruce Almighty. Yeah? Yeah. And occasionally, he starts to talk in an Italian accent, and he does the Italian job. <laughs> I don't do that, but he does. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was that was a good one. That one worked. Woo-hoo. That one worked really well. Good job. Thank you. Thank I you very much. that one. All right. So what was happening on or around the 20th of June in 2003? Well, on the 17th of June, Moneyball, a book about the 2003 Oakland Athletics baseball team and GM Billy Bean's uh, sabermetric approach inspired by Bill James is published. I think they turned that into a movie too, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did, but... The baseball season was in the middle right then. Oh, whatever. If it's about the 2003 Oakland Athletics, then it published halfway through the baseball season. I, I, okay. I, All right. okay. I, I'm okay. reading what says here. On June yep. 18th, Google launches AdSense, a program that enables website publishers to serve ads targeted to the specific content of their individual web pages, mm-hmm. many of which, like on this day, that's the podcast I go, uh, got their, uh, go on to start their own publishing businesses as a result of all of this stuff. Mm. So there mm-hmm. you go. On the 21st of June, nothing really of note happened on the 20th other than this episode because this was a big one, right? Yeah. But yeah. on the 21st, yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, the fifth book of the series by J.K. Rowling, was published worldwide in English. Mm-hmm. And I was among many who uh, had pre-ordered my copy and had it arrive that day or a couple of days later via something in the mail. So, and then on Mm -hmm. June 23, Barry Bonds, we're getting back, you know, we're we're bracketing this with baseball stuff. So, yes, on the 23rd, Barry Bonds steals second base, which I think is really quite rude. You you shouldn't be stealing very much things. I mean, just not. (laughs) He does this against the L.A. Dodgers, which I mean, come on. I mean, there's lots of bases. Why are you stealing Dodgers bases? Apparently, they didn't dodge very well. Uh, In any case, he becomes the first player in Major League Baseball history to have 500 career homers and 500 steals. My goodness, this isn't even the first time he's unrepentant thief. Although, I say nice, but like, partly because while, um, while, 
while while uh, while while juicing hit helps you hit the ball out of the park, I'm not sure. I, I guess it helps you run faster too. I suppose. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. Probably. It, it, it was impressive, but you know, it's still tainted Asterisk. by by juicing. Yes. Don't drink juice, people. No, especially if it says roids on the side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't drink roid juice. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> All right. Uh, we do have some trivia things about this episode. Are you ready? Yes. The first trivia I have to say is uh, Peter DeLuise does make an appearance in this episode, kind of. He is the voice of Loki. Ah, okay. Nice. Um, and in the commentary, as he was talking, he was trying to do his best Michael Shanks impression as Thor while mm-hmm. he was doing Loki. Ah, I see. Got it. And, and it worked well, right? Because, I mean, it was a different voice. Um, yep. But you know, it did have that kind of Asgard sound to it. So, awesome Yes, it job. did. Yeah. Um, so, when Daniel and Teal'c are searching for similar accounts, Daniel mentions that uh, they're looking for something that has four green lights I, this is what it says, which is kind of neat, but I'm not sure. Anyway, we're going to run with it. Sure. Uh, this is a nod to Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Chain of Command, when Picard is tortured by a Cardassian, mm-hmm. and there are four lights there, and he's like, nope, there are five lights. And he's like, there are four lights. Yeah. And yep. that's the big Great deal. scene. Um, you know, and then, of course, the very end, he's like, I thought there were five lights, but there really only were four. Anyway, this is also a reference to 1984. Uh, mm-hmm. In which Winston Smith, the main character, is electroshocked into declaring that he saw five fingers when there were, in fact, only four fingers. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Yeah, I think that uh, unless a- unless the writers are saying this is what they thought of when they wrote it, that's also I think I think it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I I, I will agree with that. But it, you know, it, it's a Star Trek reference, and I like Star Trek. So, and that's sure. actually a really good Star Trek episode. Uh, not always an easy one to watch. Um, but it is a good episode. Anyway, mm-hmm. this is apparently the second time that Tom Heaton, who plays Werner, one of the alien abductees, plays an alien abductee. Uh, he previously did so in Taken, God's Equation, in 2002, and also Taken, Dropping the Dishes. I believe those are two different episodes of the uh-huh. series Taken. Not so okay. Good, but there you go. Um, and when, uh, Young O'Neill was playing the PlayStation 2 in the mm-hmm. episode. The game he was playing was Gran Turismo 3. Gotcha. Okay. So, I do have a quote. Uh, this is a quote from producer, executive producer Joseph Malazzi mm-hmm. on this episode. I pulled this from Gate World, and they pulled it from someplace else. Fragile Balance is an excellent example of a creative way to shoot a Rick episode where Rick may not necessarily be available to us as much. This was the first week of production, and he wasn't available to us that week. So we came up with this story in which a kid shows up at the SGC claiming to be O'Neill. Of course, we don't believe him at first, and then when we begin to look into it, we realize that, yes, this guy's story seems quite legit. He seems to be, apparently, O'Neill. The actor we got to play young O'Neill is a young actor by the name of Michael Welch, who is terrific in the role. I think he brought home tapes and tapes of the show, and he's just studied Rick, and he's got the mannerisms down, the rhythm. I mean, it's like watching O'Neill, but 40 years younger. 
Rick <laughs> was available for a day or so, so we shot the episode in a way where his young O'Neill drives the action. And then there's ultimately a very funny scene where O'Neill ends up meeting his younger self, so that's a really fun and funny episode. And that became a quick favorite among a lot of people on set. Yep. Very nice. Um, uh, yeah, so as he kind of mentioned there, this actually was the first episode that was filmed in uh, for season seven. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it wasn't the first episode aired, um, but that was because... Uh, uh, Richard Dean Anderson was probably still fishing or something. Uh, he mm-hmm. wasn't able to get back in time, and so they had this episode for that. Very um, good. And I thought it was really cool that at the end, perhaps you noticed it, when you had O'Neill looking at O'Neill, they had it um, staged and shot in such a way that it's as if you had one actor playing the two parts and they have to look at each other type of thing. Mm. Um, you know what I'm saying? I uh, think I do. So Keep talking. Uh, you know, so, you know, they just, they shot, obviously they didn't have to do any special uh, filming for that because you had two different actors there. But I did think it was kind of cool that you had O'Neill in profile looking at O'Neill in profile as oh. they were talking to each other in yeah. the screen um, uh, as if if you had had one actor doing both of those Yeah, parts. yeah, 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 yeah. I know right. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. That's that, good. Yeah. That's kind of cool. That's right. Now, this episode in other languages. The Hungarians call it fragile balance, the Spanish the same, the Czech the same, the Italians mm-hmm. and the Spanish. Spanish apparently is there twice. Cool. I don't know why that is, but there it is. <laughs> hey, cool. Um, the Germans call it the false or wrong clone. Their false clone. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Which is kind of like... That's giving it away. Hitting it That's on definitely the giving there. it away. Now, yeah, now uh-huh. the French, the French call this episode The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh. Now, there's a little note here that says, The French version shares its title with a poem slash ballad by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe and a musical poem inspired by it uh, by French composer Paul Ducat. As well as a classic short by Disney featuring Mickey Mouse and a recent right. theatrical movie starring Jay uh, Baruchel and Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. None of which feature cloning or any other story elements seen in this episode. Yeah, but it does feature a broom that comes to life. Yeah, I, I missed that scene in this episode. No, I'm talking about, the, you know, bro- the young Jack is the broom. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I, I and Loki is uh, the the Thor apprentice apparently. Ah, uh, okay, mm-hmm. sure. All right. Well, we have a synopsis. Okay. Are you ready for the synopsis? Yeah. The fragile balance. Yeah. Let's let's get into it. All right. Here we go. It's a normal day at the office until your CEO contacts you to check in on something. Uh, what is it? Well. We had a security breach, and that breach asked specifically for you. Beyond that, we'll let you decide what's going on. So starts Major Samantha Carter's day. (laughs) Walking into the room, she sees a 15-year-old boy wearing clothes far too big for him. Seeing the Major, the boy lights up. He's happy to see the Major and exclaimed, Finally! Who is he? Well... This 15-year-old boy claims that he is none other than Colonel Jack O'Neill. 
Recounting his experience, he tells them that last night he had dinner, he drank a beer, and he went to bed. And when he woke up, he was, well, like, like this. No one quite believes his story. Quite frankly, it's a little ludicrous, so I don't know. Anyway, soon Dr. Jackson and Tilk enter, and they, as well, do not believe the boy's story. Now, it doesn't take long before the small colonel rattles off a list of things that only his friends and colleagues would know. Well... The friends and colleagues and us viewers of the show, which is pretty cool because, you know, we pick up on those kinds of references and we're like, mm-hmm. I remember those episodes. Uh-huh. Yep. They happen. Oh, in any case, the team begins to wonder, could this really be O'Neill? After some DNA tests, Dr. Frazier admits that despite a tiny, tiny discrepancy, this boy's DNA matches perfectly the DNA on file for O'Neill. This boy really is O'Neill. On to the next question. Why did this happen? And who did it? And and, and how do we fix it? And and why don't you find the humor as humorous as the rest of us, sir? (laughs) Anyway, uh, the team arrives at O'Neill's house to investigate. Despite their search, they find no relevant information, although Teal does find what he describes as a science experiment in the fridge. That is, until O'Neill has a memory flash. Last night, he was visited by the Asgard. Mm. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, back at the SGC, Jackson and Teal begin looking into past alien abductions. Perhaps they can find something that matches O'Neill's experiences. Unsurprisingly, they find several cases that match O'Neill's descriptions quite closely. Their research comes up with eight names of people living in these good old United States of America, and they decide to visit the abductees. Meanwhile, Carter is asked to lead a briefing on the F-302 for a new group of pilots slated for the F-302 fleet. Of course... This, of course, was a briefing that O'Neill was supposed to lead, but given his present, um, circumstances, the general doesn't feel it appropriate for him to lead just yet. O'Neill grumbles, grumble, 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 grumble. At the briefing, the pilots act like, well, cocky jerks. Mm -hmm. They disrespect the major and her expertise while drooling on the majesty of the colonel who flew this awesome new jet fighter for the first time. Oh, if only the colonel were here. Before Major Carter (laughs) is able to dig too deep into the briefing, there is a scuffle heard out in the hall. Pausing for just a moment, she goes to find what happens. Sure enough, the young colonel is being uh, forced face first into the wall his arm twisted behind him by a quite large SF. Carter tells him to release the boy. O'Neill decides not to press charges and enters the briefing room, muttering to himself, I could have taken him. No, Jack. No, you couldn't have taken him. I'm sorry. Nope. Nope. O'Neill takes over the briefing, but the pilots don't believe this kid is really O'Neill any more than they liked Major Carter leading this. Until Major Carter vouches for the 15-year-old boy, suddenly realizing that there is, in fact, a senior officer on the deck or in front of them or whatever it is that you want to say that he's there. They all quickly sit up straight in their chairs as O'Neill begins describing what he knows about the F-302. Jackson and Teal'c talk to the eight people who claimed they were abducted by aliens. 
Their experiences matched O'Neill's almost perfectly. They all had this out-of-body experience, floating in air, four green lights flying all around them, and an alien with big heads, with a big head and big eyes, staring down at them. But none of them had any experience of growing younger. The team attempts to contact the Asgard to figure out what the heck is going on here, but to no avail. Dr. Fraser and her team have been working around the clock on their analysis of O'Neill and his condition, and they have found something disturbing. O'Neill is dying. He only has a few days, maybe a week or two, before death becomes mm. him. Oh no. Oh yes. With no help from Thor and the Asgard, the team turns to Jacob and the Tok'ra. Now, Jacob and the Tok'ra don't really have anything helpful to add. Jacob's suggestion is to put him in stasis until they can figure out how to fix the problem. Now, Mini-Jack needs some time to consider, and while he's considering, he simply sneaks off the base. He didn't much care for the outcome the last time he accepted Tok'ra help, and he's not too keen on it this time around either. Mini-Jack heads to a convenience store to buy beer, but unsurprisingly he is denied beer and kicked out of the store for even attempting it. He bumps into Lieutenant Colonel Harlan Beck, someone he knew from his Black Ops days, uh, seeing as he's, he's Uncle Jack's favorite nephew, and seeing as you and Uncle Jack were good buddies back in the day, can you help our teen out? Beck only smiles and walks into the store without accepting the boy's money or his offer to buy him beer. Back at the base, Selmak is able to assist in the analysis of the data surrounding O'Neill, and he has discovered what that tiny, tiny little discrepancy, almost nothing to worry about at all, in the colonel's DNA means. O'Neill is not O'Neill. O'Neill is actually a clone. Well, you see, we knew that because of the German title. True. <laughs> True. You know, the wrong clone or the false clone. The false clone. Which, which, which implies that there is a non-false clone. That's true. Yeah, okay. Now, anyway, things are starting to fall into place. The Asgard used cloning to reproduce. Clearly, they were using clones to hide their abductions from the people of Earth. This suggests that the real O'Neill will be returned relatively soon. It also suggests that duplicate O'Neill's condition was probably an accident. Don't make your clone to hide what you're doing noticeably different than the original clone if you want to stay hidden. The original. I mean, that's not, just common sense. Yeah, I know. I mean, so, you know, if you're trying to hide what you're doing, don't turn your clone into a teen if yeah. you're trying to, you know, study a 51-year-old brain. I mean, I mean just, just don't do it. Anyway, the team has a plan to capture the Asgard abducting people, but they need Duplajack to do it. Serendipity shines when Harlan Beck calls and gives them a tip on the location of the clone. Jackson, Carter, and Teal'c approach Duplajack as he's fishing and explain the situation. Duplajack agrees, albeit reluctantly, to help, but only if he's part of the plan and not just bait for the plan. I get it. It makes sense. Yep. With Hammond's okay, the plan is set in motion. Duplajack waits in his bed, reading a cracked magazine, with a Zet Nicotel in his hand, waiting. The rest of the team are on the radio, waiting, and waiting. 
Suddenly there is the sound of a, an Asgard beam sweeping up the young colonel and depositing a sleeping adult colonel in his bed. The team rushes in. Real O'Neill is groggy and surprised and kind of confused as to why his team is all standing around him in his bedroom. Anyway, uh, on board the ship, Duplajack sees an approaching Asgard and zaps him with the Zat gun. The Asgard goes down. Then, zapping the device that allows him to hover in midair, the young colonel falls to the floor. Bam! He then ties up the Asgard and proceeds to beam SG-1 up to the ship. Real O'Neill and Clone O'Neill find the meeting somewhat surreal. Mm-hmm. They question the Asgard in question. His mm-hmm. name is Loki. No, not that Loki. Uh, not not that <laughs> one. The uh, that one. Yeah, that Loki is a scientist doing unsanctioned <laughs> experiments on humans. Apparently, there are sanctioned ones too, but we're not getting into that right now. Loki is trying to find something that will save their race from extinction since their cloning system is finally leading to irreparable degradation of making copies of 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 copies. He believes that Jack's brain holds the answer. Mm-hmm. Spoiler, it doesn't. The team is able to contact Thor, and sure enough, the Supreme Commander shows up. He chastises Loki for his actions and promises to punish him. And despite Jack's advanced brain, he does not have the answers they seek. But he is moving in the right direction, which is why the Asgard put a marker in his DNA to prevent tampering with it. This is what caused Mini-Jack to be created. With everything else taken care of, the only question now is whether Thor can fix the problems of Mini-Jack's DNA so that he won't die. He can, and he does. Sometime later, O'Neill drops his clone off outside Mountain Springs High School. After a great deal of thought, Mini-Jack has decided to give high school one more try. The two Jacks say their goodbyes and agree not to contact each other because that would just be weird. Of course, if Mini-Jack actually does need anything... O'Neill drives off and the clone turns and walks into high school. The Mm -hmm. end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Despite the fact that Fragile Balance does not have anything to do with ball or ants (laughs) or anything like that. Yeah. (laughs) What did you think of the episode? Um, (sighs) On one hand, I liked it a lot. Uh, It was a lot of fun to watch an actor mimic Richard Dean Anderson as Jack O'Neill. That was fun. Um, watching the mannerisms, you know, like it was, it was very believable. Uh, it was so believable, in fact, that it made me realize that Richard Dean Anderson as Jack O'Neill acts similar to a teenager in in a (laughs) fifty-year-old body. somehow it's charming when he does it but when a teenager does it it's a little obnoxious um but it's the same mannerisms uh (laughs) which was a little bit like huh um also uh it 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 was pretty fun to watch the the obvious age gags that they were doing you know watching uh you know watching watching dupla jack uh you know reach for a beer in the fridge and pull off the top and then have it pulled away and right 
watching Jack uh, try to get beer from a liquor store and watching Jack try to get furnished or have a buddy furnish it. Wait a minute. Does Jack have a drinking problem? So that was something, <laughs> right? Where it was just like so many times. It was just like, hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, no, I, I don't actually think that, but it was, it was a little bit, that one I think was overdone just a tad, just because again, like it kind of got to the point of like, wait a minute, he's really wanting beer badly. Um, uh, and the overall story I thought was kind of fun. I mean, it, uh, it loops, it, it, it actually reminds me of, um, early SG one, like seasons one and two, where most of the story was springboarded from, uh, legends or myths or folk tales. Uh, we had so many episodes in the first couple of seasons where the main story basically started off with. You know, a slideshow where <laughs> where Daniel stands up and goes, well, this God is the God of that. And we think he's this person over here doing th-, like, you know, like so many shows. And so it kind of felt like one of those episodes, which I like, um, you know, there there's this rational explanation for all these alien abductions, uh, at least the style. And that and that rational explanation is that a renegade Asgard named Loki, which makes a bunch of sense, mm-hmm. is doing things that uh, Loki shouldn't do. And um and I thought that was clever. I liked it. Uh it it uh, you know <laughs> Loki spills the beans a little bit too fast there at the end. <laughs> um but you know whatever. And uh it was it was it was kind of fun but uh this episode felt like a weird episode to drop the I mean maybe I was just missing the hints. Um I don't remember in the fifth race if uh, you know, Jack O'Neill's special status was quite like if his status was 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 quite illuminated, quite so hard as they did it in this episode. Where on this one, they just come out and say it. So Jack O'Neill is unique and special amongst the humans. So it, it, in the fifth race, um, it is true that that it is not identified jack is not identified as being so special this is one of the uh things that this episode brings to the greater stargate um mythos is that uh in this episode we discover that what happened to o'neill in that and all of that stuff it's kind of handed there right we didn't even think your brain just could handle it a little bit um, right. Sure enough. Right. So this is the episode where that is revealed as showing something special, um, uh, biologically at least, about O'Neill. Gotcha. Okay. So then there's that. But tucked, you know, tucking that r- really important piece of information inside what is basically a comedy episode felt a little strange to me. Um, but there it was. And... Um, and my enjoyment of this episode depended entirely on the fact that I have seen all of these episodes up until now. Um, there were there were so many inside references, not like inside inside, but like there was so much about this episode which would have made which would have made so little sense had I not watched all of the episodes up to this point. Sure, uh, and. I like it when a story can stand on its own two feet, not necessarily rely on that, even though bringing things forward. This one probably, I mean, this one was a fan service episode and that's not bad at all. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, so, but, but, you know, 
what ends up kind of coming together with this one is that I'm feeling just a, a tad conflicted just because there were lots of parts that were really, really fun. And I think some of those fun parts were overdone a little bit. And as a result, it, it started to curdle the milk a little. Hmm. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how much I want to let that curdling really set in because overall this thing was, this thing was fun. Um, <clears throat> you know, that kid did a great job and <laughs> did a great job. Yeah. Uh, emulating Richard Dean Anderson. Uh, the, the cast did a very good job uh, playing their roles and playing around this kid as, as Jack O'Neill. I thought that Donis Davis did a great job in uh, basically like acting opposite this young actor as if it were Richard Dean Anderson in the room. He, he was very um, Hammond was addressing own, you know, Dupla Jack as O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the acting was done very well that like, they didn't, they didn't even miss a beat in that like interaction in that, in that way that they would, they would, they would interact with each other. I thought it was great. And yeah, but, um, and then there's sort of the other side of it. Like, you know, would I, would I want to watch this episode again? Well, yeah. And again, though, I think it's because this is like a fan episode. Um, it's just kind of fun in the same way that it was fun with, uh, Michello's like body swapper thing. Watching mm-hmm. the actors play each other was fun. Um, you know, watching, watching this young guy do, uh, RDA was a lot of fun. I thought it was great. Um, you know, the briefing room scene was a little bit eye roll inducing because those, 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 those fly boys really don't do, <laughs> they really don't do a, a justice to the, to the uniform in the least by, uh, by being so blatant to a superior officer as she's about to give a briefing. Um, yeah, I get it. Like she wasn't, she wasn't piloting the thing, but she's still like ranking officer in the room. Uh, best, you know best case is that you've got a fellow major sitting there you know what i mean like well, and one of like, the two guys was actually supposed to be a major uh yeah, but, but that's still like but even so like, uh yeah. even if they're saying he she still has the authority of being the one in the front talking yeah for two reasons number one she's in the front talking and number two she was in the freaking thing already you yeah dumb dumb um <clears throat> anyway but uh and that they get all and that they get all like reverent when uh, when the young man walks in was also a little was a little bit much. But I mean, you know, after he started talking, but um, but the scene was kind of fun, though, nonetheless, like, you know, watching him kind of like, you know, watching that actor take Michael Welch, right? Walk, yeah. Watching him um, take the reins of that scene and like settle into it with confidence, uh, you know, was fun to watch. I thought it was fun to watch. And yeah, so the the story is advanced, though it felt like a weird spot for the story to get advanced. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought that some of the jokes were overdone a bit, but not that bad. And I would totally watch it again. I feel badly for the person who is flipping channels, sees this Stargate SG-1 show that they've heard so much about and decides to see what this is all about. And this is the episode they watch because they'd be lost. Um, not Maybe not lost, lost, but like they wouldn't enjoy it nearly as much as I did. And yeah, pretty good time overall. What about you? What do you think about this one? So I like this episode. I think this is a good episode. Um, mm-hmm. This episode, uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Um, yep. This is a season 
where um, Richard Dean Anderson is looking to take more time off. We saw this a little bit last season as well, mm-hmm. um, especially early on when, when they did Nightcrawlers, um, yep. where you didn't see O'Neill at all. And that was because Richard Dean Anderson was going to take some time off. Um, and all that makes a lot of sense. And so here's this question. This is a show about Colonel O'Neill and his team, right? Yes. There's a reason it goes Richard Dean Anderson in Stargate SG-1, and then you right. see all the rest, right? Um, so how do you shoot, how do you tell a story about a character who, when the actor can't be there? Um, and, you know, either you just say, oh, he's sick in bed for this whole time or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know, you don't have a whole lot of options. Maybe he's invisible, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, uh, and so you take this story. Well, what if he looks different? Um, and, and then you build, the, you know, so if you take that basic framework built out of necessity, because we have to start filming an episode and RDA is not here. What do we do? Um, uh, and then you get this really creative story and, you know, uh, Damien Kindler, there have been some episodes in the previous season where I kind of roasted him where I thought it was kind of questionable writing. It just wasn't quite as crisp, as clean as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but this here, I mean, he writes, uh, Dupla Jack, uh, as if he's just regular Jack, right? Yeah. He doesn't write yeah. it as if... He's a, a 15-year-old kid. He writes it as if he's Jack. And then Michael Welch takes those lines and delivers them as if he is a 50-year-old man in a 15-year-old body uh, yeah. and does a tremendous job with that. Uh, and you believe it, that it's him. So um, I, I thought that this was done incredibly ro- well, uh, was well, well done. Um, you are right that some of the jokes... Um, are overdone the the whole drinking um you know and while the timing gag was really quite fun with the opening and the the i'm gonna drink this beer and, and yeah Carter sure take it, it's a fun timing gag and and for the gag i'm like oh great let's i love it and then of course um you know especially for 2003 i mean maybe it's not just especially that but um you know the the quintessential. I'm a teen kid trying to get somebody to buy me beer. Um, right. You know, I, I I could. It it's hard to not see them putting that type of gag in there. Uh, still, you're right. Uh, it is it is pressed a little bit, uh, a little bit hard on that one. Mm-hmm. Um. Then the question becomes: Is he playing the PlayStation because he's a kid? Oh, right. Or is he playing yeah. the PlayStation because O'Neill plays the PlayStation? Yeah, Personally, right. Like, I think it's because O'Neill plays the PlayStation. Uh, I thought that. I, I yeah, that's a good one. I thought that. I thought that one. I thought that one was out of place. Like, I don't think we've seen Jack O'Neill indicate any kind of interest in video games up until this point. Yeah. And so you know. I mean, I suppose one could make the argument, and I think it's a decent argument, that um, suddenly inhabiting the having a consciousness suddenly inhabiting the body of a fifteen-year-old, you would probably be more interested in things that teenage boys like, and 
video games are a great thing. I mean, I loved playing video games for the longest time and video games are still around. And I got to tell you, as I get older, I'm less and less interested in them just flat out. Yeah. So maybe, maybe finding myself in a 15 year old body again, I'd be like, yeah, what's this PlayStation thing? All right, let's play a racing game. Woo. Could be, who knows? Um, you know, and I know several of my friends, um, play a lot of video games. Mm -hmm. Um, I, like the idea of playing video games, I don't really have the time to invest in playing video games. Yeah. And I was never very good at them in the first place. Um, the only place in this episode that I really have a gripe um, is, uh, you know, are, are those two pilots who um, yeah. are derogatory at best and misogynistic yes. at worst. Yeah. Um, and, you know... There's a part of me that wants to forgive it because it's all designed to to bring things, you know, just raise the antagonism so that when O'Neill is finally revealed as O'Neill and, you know, has the authority, then you really see that lock into place. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, that's, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can actually even give it a pass that that way. Um, Although I will say that the line, I know it doesn't say Colonel anywhere in my uniform, got an audible laugh from me. Oh, yeah. That, that's a that's a longstanding gag within the, the yes. show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember the very first time we talked. Maybe, maybe not the first time, but like, yeah. I mean, I thought that was funny. When, yeah. that, when that line was said, I was like, ha! I get that reference. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Way back to season one. The yep. First commandment, the fifth commandment, fifth commandment, uh, the, one of the fourth, uh, one of the commandments. One of the commandments. I, I'd have to look it up. I can't remember. Which Thou one. shalt not forget show titles. Crap! I break that one all the time. Yeah. Well. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. The laws fulfilled, Zach. Okay. <laughs> all right. We're good. Um, I did think that the. Uh, I, I did appreciate, and I just enjoyed the the scuffle uh, in the hallway, you know, and just all of that sure. during that scene. Um, that I thought was was quite fun and humorous. And then to open the door and see O'Neill pinned against the wall by this behemoth of a man, yes, um, <laughs> was was quite enjoyable. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so uh, there there you know I I. Was able to find the humor in it and, and all of that stuff, but still, uh, the the way those two guys um, treated Carter, and sadly, I don't think that it's um, like bad writing or out of place or anything like that. I think that's kind of uh, an element of the machismo of of young men. Yeah, um, it's believable. That's why it's sad. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wish I could watch that and say, well, that's totally unbelievable. Um, right. unfortunately I can't, uh, it right. is believable. Um, it's just, yeah. Yep. Yep. Didn't like it either. Yeah. I thought those guys were jerk faces. They were and, jerk faces. And they should totally be relegated to, to, to cram and grease into bearings and let the, mm. let the good pilots fly. There you go. They should, they should be relegated to second chair and all of those F-302s. Yes, that's right. 
<laughs> Ooh, you had your shot at being in the front, but uh, flapped your mouth a little bit too much to the ranking officer in the room. Yeah. Looks like you're going to be sitting back seat for the rest of your oh, career. Oh, boy. Oh, well. You know, so, um, and then, of course, we get some more information about the Asgard. Um, I mean, we've kind of, they've hinted before that the Asgard are not doing well, that their cloning procedures are at their limit. Um, yeah. The fact that they are coming and uh, looking at human physiology to uh, potentially facilitate some sort of fix uh, is new, and that's just kind of interesting to see that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if only they could hold out for a few more uh, uh, evolutionary leaps of generations, and then, you know, we'll have that, that brain that is big enough to handle their cranium. But, I mean, the raw, pure intellectual power. I know. I mean, it's just like... Uh, so... It's like the, like the guard in the hallway. Yeah, exactly. A, but, it, but it's brains and not muscles. <laughs> Pulsing brains. Yeah. So, you know, the, the Asgard clearly have like a 20 or 22 uh, intelligence in, in D&D parlance. That's right. Um, you know, I mean, they have like a six in strength and maybe a four in constitution. <laughs> but they make up for it in huge intellect. Yep. That's right. Um, so, um, but overall, I enjoyed the episode. I think it's a fun episode. Um, uh, it is designed to be uh, a humor episode. Uh, it is designed to um, to be a good, solid nod to those who have been with the show for a long time. Yeah. Um, which actually I think is a good thing early on in the seventh season. Because remember that this is a show that's been was on uh, Showtime for five seasons, and then it shifted over to sci-fi. It had a sixth season, and then they had another shakeup of the cast, returning to what they had before. It's a seventh mm-hmm. season. They didn't know that they were going to have the seventh season until relatively late in the process. They have it. Um, and this is a way to, at the beginning of the season, uh, give a nod to the faithful followers. To that's say, true. Yeah. You have been with us for a long time, and let's give you something that's fun and funny that you were like, "Yes, I remember. Th- oh, I, rem- I remember that. I get- yeah, yeah. You know. Yep. So I think mm-hmm. that that that's why this episode fits in this spot. That just kind of came to me now as we were talking. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of works well for me. Um, yeah, I, I like it. It's a good episode. Okay. I, I, I don't know if I have much else to say right now. Yeah, I don't know if there is a whole lot to say. I mean, there's not, you know, so we could um, we could attempt to start going down like the cloning morality thing. But I don't think this episode was even trying to do that. I did like how they how the episode wrapped up. <laughs> I did. I really did. You know, haven't you ever wondered, like wanted to do it all over again? Just knowing what you do now? No. no. Yeah, and then I'm 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 100 in that boat now too. Of just like no, no, no. When I no. was in my like late 20s, there was a moment of me being like, oh man, I wish I could redo stuff. And now I'm way past that. I'm like, nah, no, nah, it was way no. too, no, no. So way too goofy. So it didn't take long after I graduated college where I was simply at a point where I'm like, there is no amount of money, no amount of money that you could pay me to get me to redo high school. I am no. still in that boat. Oh. Um, uh, now, at the time, I was kind of thinking, you know, 
I could be persuaded to do college again. Sure. Um, and now I'm in my mid forties, and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I could, I could, I could probably be persuaded to do college again. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, high on my priority list. You know, it's not like I'm like wishing for it and hoping for it. But you know, I'm like, okay, if it happened, you know, I'm like, in a hypothetical world, still no, still a hard pass on high school. Oh yeah, uh, it's like no. I'm not doing that again. When I was, uh, I think I was 14, I think when um, Smashing Pumpkins' uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness album came out. Now, I grew up in a pretty strict household and very conservative, and I, I was not allowed to listen to that rock music. That, 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 that music was, of, was, was bad music to listen to. Um, but of course, I had a walkman or something and i surreptitiously listened to the radio and they'd have bullet with butterfly wings was the, was the oh, song and it, you and yeah went. i was i was i, I was ashamed. rebellious i'm shocked yeah she, this is shocking now but the 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 interesting thing to me now is that um every time i hear that song just yeah just about every time that i hear that song i can the memory of what it felt like to be 14 was I 14 or 15 I was right around there it doesn't matter um the the memory of being that age in specific uh I'm able to remember what it felt like the turbulence and the mm. the the excitement but also the uncertainty and the um constant anxiety of just everything um and I don't want to go back to that at all. <laughs> it's bad. No. And so you, you, so you sit there and you think, well, man, but if I were a teenager again, I'd have all this, like this loads of confidence to be able to just do blah and know, know which, which mistakes to avoid and, and which things to pursue and blah, blah. And it's like, you're forgetting a major part about what makes teenagerdom so frustrating. And that's your body is literally out of control. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the biology itself is dictating that no no your brain is mush right now you can't think in a straight line to save your life do you think you're going to walk into a room and suddenly remember your 40 year old like way of of evaluating risk and reward and be able to no 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 you're going to walk into a room and you're going to see somebody bat their eyelashes at you and you're going to turn into a stupid puddle that decides that jumping <laughs> off the teacher's desk is a good idea like guaranteed uh, like uh. <laughs> Like, you know, no. So, so here's here's the an interesting question. Mm -hmm. um, neither one of us would choose to go back to high school. No. Um, if we could now, w if you were in Dupla Jack's position, mm -hmm. would you? Because oh, right. So so that's the thing is that he uh, uh, apparently was given a choice. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. Going back to high school was not uh, a, a foregone conclusion or a requirement or for, you know, uh, so would you? Uh, if are you asking the question, if I was Dupla Jack, would I do it? Well, I mean, if you were Dupla Brent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, still, I mean, I don't know. Well, okay, let's bring it back to a, a, a core premise that I just made just a second ago. Uh, Duplebrent absolutely would, because as I mentioned, he would be stuck inside the body of a 15-year-old and his brain would be mush and he'd make 
poor choices, <laughs> including the choice to go back to high school. Well, so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it, it's a given. But, uh, uh, you know, give, bringing it back to the story, like how on earth were they going to write an ending for Dupla Jack that wasn't that? Yeah. Like, I mean, any other possible ending is just too mushy or too sad or too vague. Like, no, the right place for a teenager is walking back into the halls of a high school while some popular song plays in the background that I've never heard in my life. Um, like that, that was the only way that that episode could have ended. That wouldn't have been like a little bit jarring yeah. or, or upsetting in some way. It had to go that direction. So incidentally, uh, the building that was used for the high school is actually mm-hmm. a retirement home. That okay. Was <laughs> <laughs> so surprise dupla jack you're actually old and you're gonna retire soon so uh enjoy beating everybody at cribbage so uh yeah now now we can jack has has this fond experience of growing super duper old and yep. having prostate problems that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and now, well, at least Dupa Jack does. And yep. now uh, growing super young, relatively speaking, um, yep. and having to deal with all of the ramifications there. And so um, when, oh, uh, shoot, super old Jack, that was Brief Candle. Yep. Um, and that was season one. Yep. Um, and then fifth race was season two, right? I believe so. If you give me just a minute, you keep talking and I'll confirm that. I'm wondering if Jack's experience with, um, uh, fifth race is season two. Yes. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if, uh, I'm wondering if that was the secret. He's the only member of the SG team that had, that endured the brief candle uh, situation. I don't think it, no, yeah, no, no other, no, right. No other member of the team had any kind of funny business with their age done. Michael Shanks was put into old man makeup as Marcello, but that's different. True. So maybe the 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 reason why he was able to have all of that ancient uh, information downloaded into his brain is that uh, he's already been stretched past. Uh, it's like a balloon. You know how if you try to blow up a balloon without stretching it out, it doesn't work as well as if you stretch it out a little bit. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he he got stretched out a little bit when he was uh, you know doing his intergenerational farming, and now that he's just limber, they, they now now we're just having fun. Now now he can go now he can go back thirty years without without incident. So. so so speaking of inside jokes, you just tossed out intergenerational farming. Hey, look, it's a good one. It all is, right? Oh, I I I I said it. <laughs> I love it. I'm just pointing out that if anybody just jumped into this podcast without having listened to the, all the other 135 episodes, 135 That's plus, true. They would have been completely confused at that point in time. Yeah, well, that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. Uh, I got nothing else to say. All right. So then, uh, without further ado. Sure. This episode needs chevrons. Sure does. And I need to know how many you're giving it. So I don't think I can give it more than six, but I'm not going to give it any less than six. Um, I don't think that it hit seven for me because, like I mentioned, there's a couple of those jokes that run a little stale. And there was a couple of spots where, like, yeah, they set up the gag so that when young Jack walks into the room that the that the the, the fly boys sit up straighter once they realize what's going on. But it's kind of still still 
it still chafed me. Um, but it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. And there was a lot of fun parts about it that I got to enjoy because I've been watching this show. And so on the whole, I think that it was a great time. Um, and, and, and again, I would absolutely rewatch this one again. It's because I like watching what they did, what that, what that, what that young actor did with that role. It was really good. Um, <clears throat> but no more than a six for me. So how about you? How many do you give it? Well, I am going to follow suit and give it a six. Uh, for basically the same types of reasons. Um, it's not a, an episode that knocks it so far out of the park that it deserves a seven or higher. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But anything less than a six would be would be unfair to it, I think. Pretty yep. I, think I think that's accurate. Yeah. So, um, six. All right. There you go. We have predictions. Yeah, we do. Uh, I, got, I got one on the Twitters. Okay. Oh, it's not a prediction. Dang it, Kevin. We got Kevin. Oh. Hi, Kevin. You. He says, hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. I predict we're going to have to go to Facebook because, oh, boy, do I have some thoughts on this. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Is that it? I think that's it. Uh, That is it. All right. Um, Let's see here. Okay, here we go. We have... Our first prediction on Facebook, then from JD. Hi, JD. A bit of levity after saying goodbye to a casual acquaintance and hello to an old friend. I think Zach Mm -hmm. will enjoy it for the fun it is and give it a five and a half. And Brent will get bent out of shape by a sciencey thing (laughs) and give it a four. Yeah, I um I didn't I didn't have time to really kind of think about the sciencey thing. Maybe it's because uh biological sciences are not really my thing. So Well, there you go. You, you might have you might have gotten me on a technicality. Ah. Well, uh JD says I tip on the levity side and would give it a five and a half as well. Yep. There you go. Uh thank you, JD. Uh next we have Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says Nothing else matters because it's time for Baby O'Neal. For Baby crying O'Neal. out loud, can <laughs> someone get this kid a beer? <laughs> right? Michael Welch steals every scene with his highly entertaining imitation of RDA's mannerisms and line delivery. And the rest of the team gets some good quips in as well. Turns mm-hmm. out Loki has been fiddling with human DNA and making disposable clones. What a rascal. The story revolves, resolves Jack 2.0's presence in a way that means we might see him again someday, perhaps in Stargate The Next Generation, when Cassie <laughs> brings home her new boyfriend for an awkward dinner with Mom Fraser and Aunt Sam. <laughs> Brent will give it a 7, and Zach will give it a oh. 6, because it's oh. just so much fun. This episode has fun. been rated 8.3 on IMDb, which is a 5.5 on my IMDb to Chevron rating conversion scale, putting it in the top 25% of Stargate episodes overall. Very nice. There we go. Uh, well, close. We have Yeah, it was very close. We have very Kimberly. Close Hi, Kimberly. Kimberly predicts that Brent is going to give this episode a 6. Ooh, okay. Zach, a five. Oh, so close. Kimberly says, 
Brent continues with channeling the Grinch going into the new year, but I think this episode has enough of a Bane factor to warm his heart. Since Redacted, this episode has absolutely zero impact on any future episodes despite having a great premise. Zach will rate it lower. Both with will appreciate the excellent acting from Mini Jack. Yep. Very, very close. All right. We have Dan. Hi, Dan. Dan gives us, ah, yes, mini-me, and then he has a nice gif or gif, uh, however you would like to say that yourself, um, of mini-me from Austin Powers dancing. Yes. There you go. Yeah. I believe that Dan has sent us an email, so we'll get back to Dan in a little bit. Uh, We have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. A day early? My life has been thrown into disarray. The fragile balance has been destroyed. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Mass mass hysteria. (laughs) Ah, yes. It's a new year and a new Jack. This is a fun episode all around. The Asgard are back. Yep. Uh, Michael Welch does an absolutely delightful <laughs> imitation of RDA. We get Peter DeLuise voicing Loki and get to see what O'Neill may have looked like when he was younger. Mm-hmm. But when did the Asgard put the protein marker in him? I'll say during the Asgard rock hand, uh, rock hand scene when they take out all the knowledge of the ancients and you can't change my mind. I'm going to say Brent is slightly grumpy and gives it a five. And Brent knows that it doesn't impact the future. And Zach knows that it doesn't impact the future and also gives it a five. Also, is it a weird that a young body but old mind O'Neill can now date teenage girls? Yes. I'm going to stop thinking about it because it gets weird and complicated. Anyway, I'll see you next week. Yep. See you next week. Um... There, the, we do have some comments uh, on that topic. Rowan says, oh, I try not to think about O'Neill dating high school girls. I like to imagine that with all his life experience, he would tire of spending time with teens pretty fast, given yeah. that his canonical dream woman is Mary Steenburgen. Maybe he'll take some AP courses and meet some nice college girls soon. I hope. Uh, <laughs> Here I thought we were going for the teacher angle myself, but anyway. Ah, well, th- that's still creepy, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least in my mind, that one makes just a degree more sense because mentally he's an older person. It's just physically he's in a younger body. It's still creepy. As I think about it more, I'm like, no, no, that's actually not better. So so here's my, my question is that if it is true, as you posited earlier, that the physiology of his body... Uh, oh, would yes. begin to have dramatic effects yes. on his brain and thought yeah, process. Yeah. Would yeah. that mm-hmm. change the way his older memories began to process things such that he began over six months or whatever to develop more into a teen than into a 50-year-old oh, yeah. in a teen's body? Yeah, absolutely. And if that's the case, which is a, 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 a you know, it's it's nice to posit. We can posit that. Um, does that lessen the creepiness of it? I don't yes. know. I, I think yes. Okay. I'm going to go with yes, but only on the caveat that, no, no, child brains are weird, and people are weird when they inhabit child brains. So don't worry about it. He, he's going to turn into a teenage Jack before too long. <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, David responds then to Roland, oh, it's a problem, all right. We all saw the look he gave the high school girls. And Kevin says, to be fair, she gave him a look first, but then again, mm. she is a high schooler. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it's, it's creepy. Uh, potentially. Or maybe not. I don't know. Eh, I mean, I do, I, do, I do appreciate that joke. Go forth, young man, because it's like, yeah, okay, you're going to be a teenager now. Go. Go to high school. Yeah. Um, and we have Sean. Hi, Sean. Sean says, I'm not impersonating anyone. Wait for camera to zoom whilst eyes twinkle. I am Jack O'Neill. Surely wouldn't it be that hard? Surely it wouldn't be that hard for the Air Force to get some teenage photos of Jack right at the start. Very good actor to get his likeness so well, though. Flashback alien probe. Alert MTV generation meme posts below, please. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, funny. What do we mean. call him? Duplicate O'Neill missed an opportunity for Clonial. Come on, Clonial. Ooh, Ooh that's that a, a good, good one. one. That, 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 that's a good one. I like Clonial. All right, question for you. Would you recognize your younger self if he walked up to you? Interesting concept. O'Neill didn't, obviously, but I always thought I would. Hmm. So I took that to be totally fine because as we have... Uh, it's something that's so trivially obvious once you start really thinking about it. And I learned about it from a recent video about, I know I'm going off the rails a little, um, about snowflakes. Uh, somebody who makes snowflakes in a lab and so learned an awful lot about what conditions exist for certain things to happen, like branches and plates and things, that, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, though, that like, you know, when somebody says, is it true that no two snowflakes is alike? And the guy goes, the guy goes, yeah, no two snowflakes are alike. Like, no two anything are alike. No two trees are alike. No two people are alike. And and his point was, and he says his point, like, anytime you introduce complexity into the situation, nothing is alike anymore. And so we've known this about clones. Clones will, in science fiction, clones have always been a perfect copy and have always been able to do stuff. And you have your evil clone with the goatee, et cetera, et cetera. But what would it really be like? That person would look different. And so would you be able to recognize a cloned version of yourself that's younger? No, not necessarily. They'd look an awful lot like you, but they wouldn't look like you exactly. So I thought that that's what, I, that's what we were saying. Well, and then the question is, um, is a clone of you, you? Yeah, no. Even if but they have your memories? Yeah, no. No, they're not. Yeah. In the All same right. way that if you step onto a transporter pad, you die. The end. Goodbye. A different you shows up that person is all like, hi, I'm Brent. And you're like, hey, Brent, good to see you again. But the Brent you knew died on that transporter pad. But if the Brent that appears on the other side uh, talks like you, walks like you, uh, oh, yeah. uh, thinks like you, has all of your memories, and doesn't even remember the dying part, nope. um, is there any way to effectively tell the fact that, I mean, oh, at no, what no, point no. time does... Um, dying cease to to matter in in context of course of course it would matter to me once i stepped on the transporter pad but to the rest of the world i'd carry on there you go uh we gotta finish up sean's uh message yeah that's right we went way off the rails (laughs) he says uh not sure how i feel about end scene with the giggling girls a little cringy as younger o'neill is still mentally the same guy yeah we talked about that Still, yep. this episode is fun, and 
what can't you dislike about Thor and Loki on scene together? This one gets a seven from me for a nice. great standalone episode. I think Brent will give it a six, and Ooh, Zach yes. will give it a six point five. So oh, close. so close! Wow, Sean, so close. super good. Um, and now we have our emails. Emails. In fact, we have Dan. Hi, Dan. Happy Friday? Whoa, this is yep. weird. I waited two weeks to deploy the meme of Dr. Evil and Minnie me on the book face. I'm proud of myself for thinking of that. Wait, what do you mean it was mentioned in the show? Go! Oh! <laughs> Once again, we have one of the, those episodes that doesn't really move the overall story along, but it's a really great addition. Serious when it needs to be humorous. Serious when it needs to be humorous when it can be. The difference mm-hmm. in tone from the first half's humor to the second half's more serious feel gives this episode a great split. Michael mm-hmm. Welch starring as Mini-Me, I mean Young Jack, does an outstanding job playing RDA, playing Jack O'Neill. So mm-hmm. many of his lines feel as though RDA wrote them just for him. I especially mm-hmm. love the moment during the 302 briefing when the pilots aren't taking him seriously and the difference in their attitude when Jack snaps at them is so good. Mm-hmm. Lessons to be learned. Number one, Daniel and Jack have a great rapport, mm-hmm. no matter how old they are. Number two, stranger things have happened, lest we forget the time we had a hand in his head. He had a hand in his head. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, there was a time, which is strange, when, when somebody put their hand in his head. I don't remember that. That was the replicators. When they were oh, alien forms. Yes. Or the time he started speaking in an alien language. Oh, and the time he ate three huge steaks as an appetizer. Ooh, and, and that oh, one yeah. time. Wait, no, Brent doesn't know about that one yet. Sorry. <laughs> Number three. I mean, given when this episode first aired, surely the Air Force could spring for a PlayStation 2. I mean, well, yeah. I get sure. Number four. When your group of friends has bad news to give you, do not allow them to play hot potato with your life. <laughs> I, I, I did appreciate that scene. So I'm not going to sugarcoat for this, you this. This is really bad news, and I'm going to let Sam That was Sam really funny. I'm going to let Sam take it. Yeah, that, I laughed again on that one. And she's like, dude. Yep, yep. Okay. Number five. We all conduct scientific experiments in one way or another, but when your salsa grows hair... It's probably oh, time to funny. make your conclusion. O'Neill, are you conducting a science experiment? <laughs> uh, don't forget to report your findings. The difference between science and just playing around is recording what happened afterwards. That's right. If you're not taking notes, you're just playing around. Number six. Seven days of sleep is a record for Jack. That's better mm. than me. My record is about 14 hours, but I paid the price with a wicked migraine for the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry about that, Dan. That sucks. That's awful. I get migraines, too. And uh, Sorry. Number seven. We're going to move on. High school isn't and wasn't for everyone, but the new kid in town surely has a chance with the young ladies of Vancouver or, or Colorado Springs. My bad. Yep. All right. Not every episode needs to move the narrative along. Sometimes it's good to just let a fun story take place. 
We've got something like 20 episodes, so believe me, there's plenty of time to do that. This is a good five and a half for me. I'm guessing uh-huh. five from Brent and a five and a half from Zach. Super close. Super duper close. And finally, we have our prediction from David. Hi, David. Clonial will have to go through some teenage problems bias buffers. <laughs> like another zit. <laughs> yeah. So, first off, what's the Air Force budget for creating and maintaining new identities for all these people that have to find a place right? they have to find a place for? Then there's that. O'Neill yeah. just shows up one day in high school and what? Home? Support system? Food? Where does he live? Does he live by himself? Who pays his I bills? I was wondering the Who same thing, Who signs his report cards? Yeah. Sure, right? he has all of Jack's memories and whatnot and the skill set to survive on his own, but he still has to live somewhere and go to high school yep. again. Yeah. As to this episode, what's not to like? Clonial, Loki, the rogue Asgard, a fun and also sinister story. And for those of us in the know, a teeny tiny hint about a future plot point... Oh, you can learn more about that on an upcoming episode of The Other Side of the Gate coming soon. Oh, nice plug. I like that. Zach, pretend like you've read my show notes draft if you haven't already. That's okay? on you. All right. <laughs> I have definitely read those show notes. Draft. Of course you Absolutely have. Absolutely. I have. I know exactly yes. what you're talking about. Precisely. Even if I haven't. I mean, I have. Of course you have. Of course. Of course. All right, really, really, though, he goes on. There are problems with this episode. Its placement in the season and series is odd. They had a fun idea, but didn't quite know how to finish it, leaving it to fall apart at the end. I, don't, I would disagree with you on that one. Clonial is just dumped off at high school with <laughs> a have a nice life. Yeah. Okay, well, what else are you going to do with it? Right. Right. I mean, that's what we talked about. It's like any other way that you put it, it's like it turns sad. So you kind of have to end it with Degrassi High or something stupid. Right. The mind, and we talked about the placement of this episode. And, yeah. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Now I true. would uh, argue that one. The mind of old Jack and the body of young Jack is now presumably going after high school girls. Something is not quite right with that. Uh, yes. Again, we, we have talked about that. So yes. I'm not going to make any more comments. Right. Brent. Five chevrons, because it was mostly a good story, and we got a new Asgard, but that it ended poorly. Yes, yes, Zach, close. five chevrons, because the implications of young Jack in so many ways are just... Bye. <laughs> Very close. Very close. All right. Those are our predictions. Yes, thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Now, Brent. Yeah. We have just experienced a fragile balance mm-hmm. and the time has now come to turn our attention to what is forthcoming and what is forthcoming but nothing less than Orpheus mm-hmm. and so I ask you what is Orpheus all about hmm next time on Stargate SG-1 the SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves on a strange world It's a peculiar world with a strange green overtone on everything. And it seems as if people are a little bit too happy. Not like truly like grinning ear to ear happy, but things just seem a little bit too placid. 
And our heroes start walking through the streets and they find an interesting gentleman clad in a long leather jacket and with sunglasses that look an awful lot like what young, what uh, uh, Cloneal was wearing as he walked into the high school, which by the way, no school allows a kid to walk into the building with sunglasses on. Take your shades off. What do you think? Your future is that bright? No, you've got a future in retail. Get back to class. <laughs> this gentleman stands up before them and says, I have a secret to share with you. The world is not what it seems to be. And they have a conversation. They suddenly find themselves in a sitting room, all seated, and there seems to be a peculiar choice before them. They can either have a yellow jelly bean or a pink jelly bean. And if they take the pink jelly bean, we'll, sh we'll see just how deep the Stargate goes. So, of course, they take the pink jelly bean. And suddenly, they're able to learn kung fu in a very short amount of time. And they can dodge bullets in strange ways and they suddenly look around and they don't see the world as it is but rather as it is man they see the code now they see the mate oh wait wrong oh orpheus not morphe oh i don't know what this happened join us next time on <laughs> stargate sg1 orpheus very good so uh so zach yes do I get to see Keanu Reeves? Well, you can if you watch Matrix Revel Resurrections. But what or about John Wick? Yeah. Or uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But what I really want to see or is I want to see Lawrence Fishburne. I want to see Lawrence Fishburne. Well, you can do that. You can't do that by watching Matrix Resurrections, but you can no. see him in any of the other Matrix movies. Yes. Uh, and many other movies that he is that's in. That's true. That's true. Yes, that's right. Yep. What about what about uh, what about this uh, upcoming episode? Uh, well, if you want to see that, then you just have to turn to whatever device that is that you are you're playing and watching. You just like watch it. But if you want to <laughs> okay. know kind of what it's about without watching the episode, then then you would turn to something like I don't know, like a promo. Oh, like this promo uh, right here. Like the like this promo right here. Shall oh. we watch this program? Sure. Let's watch this one. All right, I'm going to hit play now. On the next Stargate SG-1. Oh, dear. What? Oh, dear. Ooh. After a failed mission, Teal'c is gravely injured, while Ryak and Braytac are on a Jaffa prison planet. Oh, no! Come You know, forget that crap. I'm your commanding officer. And you must be kept informed of the fitness of all those under your command. Frazier says you're ready for duty now. Is that true? I do not feel that I am fit for duty. Okay. Will Kelnor induced visions of their torture provide enough information to mount a rescue? Oh. Oh my. It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Wow. Okay. Oof. That looks like a heavy one. A, well, you know, it's about Morpheus. I mean, Orpheus. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have nothing. And but, like, but that, that's know, the next episode. Like, it's, uh, it's a Teal'c episode. I'll tell the, you that much. Seeing the cat twice on the staircase. Oh, wow. All right. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Okay, well, well I'm excited you. to watch this one. This looks good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, David. Uh, yes, for thank the promo. you, David. Appreciate that. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for putting up with our fragilely balancing of changing oh, yeah. our times and whatnot. Yep. Uh, Brent, are you still planning to uh, release this on the normal Sunday? Oh, yeah. Uh, as you would. Yep. So uh, you will hear this in your ear holes at the normal time that you hear these things. Yep. Uh, whatever that is for you. And uh, we just recorded a little bit early because our schedules were weird. Yes. With all that, I say tell us what you think about this episode or whatever anything else you have. You know, uh, email us at Walking Through the Stargate, Twitter, the Facebooks, the Patreons, the Discords, all of those fun things. All those things. Uh, do all of those things. Um, and with that, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.